Welcome to Season 2 of Fracktown Gumshoe, Holy Fits, based on the novels by Deborah Gaskill. Chapter 4 My cell phone rang before I could respond to Nancy Drew. It's Gracie. I have to take this call. I held up my hand to stop the babbling. Thankfully, Mary Margaret shut up. Hey baby, what's going on? Dr. Grace Darcy was the principal cellist at the Fawcettville Symphony, a tall, dark-haired Connecticut beauty, and the light of my life. She was a tough-talking, no-bullshit kind of woman, probably the only one who could deal with a foul-mouthed bastard like me. In addition to the symphony, she taught classes in music theory along with cello at the Fawcettville University. Most of her theory classes involved freshman students who were non-music majors and looking to fill a general education requirement, so she treated them much like the street thugs and hoodlums they most likely were. Her classes were always full and nobody messed with Dr. D. We'd met on one of my first PI cases, after I'd retired from the police force. Neither of us were spring chickens. She was in her late 40s and I was in my early 50s when we married several years ago, long after Ma's dream of grandchildren could have been a part of the mix. That's okay. I would have made a lousy father. With my luck, our children would have been cursed with my looks rather than their mother's. Anyway, who wanted their daughters to have no neck, big shoulders, thick, bowed legs, and stand at the higher end of short? I couldn't do that to a kid, and you know that's what would happen. And to make things worse, I had my father's round, pugilist face, and my mother's dark Italian hair, and her father's barrel chest. Yeah, the decision not to have kids was the right one. It's your mother, Niccolo. What? She's very upset. Apparently the priest at St. Rita's has been killed. Do you know anything about that? Who the fuck doesn't know this guy is dead? Yeah, I knew about it. Can you come over? I'm over at her house right now. Sure, give me five minutes and I'm out the door. I slid my cell phone into my shirt pocket and smiled at Mary Margaret. Gotta run. It's Ma. Lock up for me, kiddo. I'll see you tomorrow. But Mr. Fitzhugh, what about tomorrow morning? We're going to see Grammy, right? Isn't that what you said? Alicia Linnerman called, too. She said you're supposed to... Mr. Fitzhugh? Mr. Fitzhugh? I waved as I dashed through the lobby. We'll talk tomorrow. I called back. Mary Margaret squealed in frustration as my office door closed behind me. Clutching a wet tissue in her bird-like hands, Ma was sitting at the old table in the olive drab kitchen. Her wrinkled eyes, which normally danced with every word that she spoke, were ringed with red. Gracie was sitting beside her, rubbing her hand up and down my mother's hunchback. Niccolo, Niccolo, Ma said. I can't believe Father O'Malley's dead. I know, I know. Do you know how he died? Grace asked softly. It could be a heart attack. The police don't know yet. I looked over Ma's head and held a finger to my lips. Gracie arched an eyebrow, realizing I'd tell her more at home. I placed my hands over Ma's and thought about all that she'd been through. In her 80s, she was looking and sounding more like the black-clad widows of her old country ancestors, despite the fact that she'd lived in Fawcettville her entire life. Her hair was white and pinned in a bun, although her pencil-arched Sophia Loren eyebrows were still as dark as they'd been in my childhood. Her eyes and her mind were as sharp as the kitchen knives she used to make our Sunday family meals. And while some things were harder for her, she coped well since my father had died of a heart attack ten years back. Her daily routine centered around morning mass at St. Rita's, and pursuing the obituary page to see which one of her friends and acquaintances had died, then attending their funeral, most often at the same church. 
She attended bingo every Wednesday night and for many years had been a big part of planning St. Rita's Feast Day Festival, held the weekend before Labor Day, and supported the local battered women's shelter. Losing Father O'Malley must have felt like the ever-shrinking circle of her life just got a little smaller. I'm heartbroken, she began. I know, Ma, I said softly. I know. Maybe it was the way I said it. I don't know. Ma lifted her head and fastened her hard, dark Italian eyes on me. Suddenly, I knew I was in for a volcanic eruption. You do? How could you when I tried to call you three or four different times and you don't have the time or the consideration to call me your own mother back? Niccolo, the one son who follows in his father's footsteps, the one who I pinned all my hopes and dreams on. Ma, listen to me. No, Niccolo, you listen to me. Here I am doing everything I can to send you business and help someone from my church, and you won't even have the good manners to call me back. Ma threw her hands in the air. The tissue she clasped flew across the kitchen and landed on the cracked linoleum. You're not helping when you're telling folks I'll take the case for free. I got bills to pay, and a free case doesn't help with that. What? You do one case, one case for free for a big client, and I'm speaking of St. Rita's now, not Bridget Cleary, whose mother, by the way, should have been in a nursing home long before this. This pasticchio happened, and the next thing you know, people are pouring through the door. Ma, I don't need any more business. I got more than I can handle right now. Oh, so now Mr. Big Shot doesn't need his mother? Ma, that's not what I said. Okay, you two, just stop it. Gracie stood and held up her hands. Never in my adult life did I ever think I would be breaking up a fight between my husband and his 84-year-old mother. Niccolo, sit down and shut up. Ma, relax. How we got the case isn't important. The biggest concern is how Father O'Malley died. I did as Gracie told me, folding my hands on the table like a schoolboy. She pointed at me, much as I imagined she did when she expected a tough answer from her students. Niccolo, tell Ma how they think Father O'Malley died. Yes, ma'am. Like I said, they think it might be a heart attack right now, but the coroner has some investigating to do and he'll let us know. He wasn't stabbed like Sister Amelia said, Ma asked. Somebody needs to shut that nun up. She's told that tale all over town. Despite what she may have told you, he wasn't stabbed and he didn't bleed out. He had a visitor earlier in the afternoon and stayed in his office all afternoon. Miss Barassetti, the secretary, found him dead at his desk when he was late for his four o'clock vespers. Well, let's hope it was something like that. I hope he didn't suffer, Ma sighed. Chibe vive ben morore. A good life makes an easy death. Gracie rested her long, elegant fingers on Ma's shoulder. Are you okay now? Ma nodded and wiped her eyes again. Chrissy is picking me up soon to have dinner at her house. I'll be fine. Gracie looked sharply at me and pointed at the door. Then if everything is settled, we're going to go home. Right, Niccolo? Well, uh, I'd have everything is settled, Niccolo. Yes, ma'am. I pulled my excursion into the driveway of our Tudor house in University Heights, behind Gracie's Volvo as it disappeared into the one-car garage. I followed her silently to the front door and stood behind her as she unlocked it. She gave the door a quick shove to open it. I gave her a playful slap on the ass as she did, hoping to spark a little afternoon delight. The P.I. business may have been boring, but Dr. Gracie Darcy wasn't. Hey, 
she said, looking back over her shoulder and smiling. Just a little oomph to help you out? I teased. I stepped through the door, nearly tripping over two suitcases. What's this? You're not leaving me, are you? Gracie wrapped her arms around my neck and kissed me. Don't tell me you forgot I'm going to Vienna. I didn't think it was until later this summer. Summer term doesn't start until July, right? I squeezed her once and let her go. She smiled again and began to pick through the mail on the entryway table. The second summer term starts in late July. The first summer term started today, Niccolo. I've talked to you for the last six months about this trip. Barbara Hawksworth, the violin professor, and I are going to take the music club to Vienna to explore the life of Mozart. We're also going to visit some Beethoven sites in Germany. There are 15 students going. You're going with another professor? She looked up at me, exasperated. Niccolo, you seem to forget that when I asked you to go in January, you didn't think you'd have time. And when I asked you again in February, you said the same thing. And when I got my passport in March, you seemed to have no problems with me going with another staff member. Oh, I need you to take me to the airport first thing tomorrow morning. Tomorrow? But this case with Father O'Malley, that can wait. My plane leaves at 10, which means I need to be at the airport at 8, which means we need to be out of here by 6.30 at the latest. There goes my plan to shake up St. Giles's world first thing tomorrow morning. What choice did I have? Then again, if she was leaving, I could dig deep into this creepy Catholic cult without her worrying about me. I could toss my boring routine right down the toilet. This might be a good thing. There were other advantages, most of which involved watching the Indians in my boxers and other behaviors, like cold pizza and beer for Saturday breakfast, that made it clear I'd gotten married later in life. The house would be clean by the time she got back. I'd have Mary Margaret find someone to make sure it was. After dinner, Gracie, my beautiful, wonderful Gracie, slipped into a nightgown and snuggled beneath my arm on the couch, her dark, touchable hair falling around her even more touchable shoulders. The thin strap of her gown hung enticingly down her soft velvet arm. How long are you going to be gone? I asked, kissing her shoulder. Three weeks. Three weeks? What am I going to do without you? I kissed her shoulder again, then her neck, then just behind her ear. She turned toward me and clasped my face with her hands, kissing my lips. As long as you're not doing this with anyone else, I think we'll be fine. She whispered, never. I whispered back, never. You better not, she purred, and wrapped her arms around me, locking her fingers in my graying black hair. So, uh, what are we going to do all night before you get on that plane? I whispered, running my hand up her long, silken leg. I've got an idea. The next morning, I heaved her two suitcases from the back of my excursion onto the sidewalk at the entrance of the Cannon Akron Airport. Gracie stepped out of the passenger side, clutching her passport and itinerary. I'm gonna miss you, Dr. Darcy. Catching a glimpse of the group of giggling students waiting for her at the entrance, I kissed her chastely on the cheek. You'll be fine. You were wild last night, by the way, I whispered in her ear. Niccolo, stop it, she said, blushing. Now remember, you have to feed the cat first thing in the morning, one can a day. There's a stack of cans in the kitchen cabinet that will last until I get back. I also left you a list of meals I made and stuck in the freezer, but I'm not so naive to think that you'll eat any of them. Your mother said she would cook for you, too, if you wanted her to. Probably not. I smiled at her. Another quick kiss and a hug. A promise to get in touch when they arrived, and she was gone. I slipped back into the excursion and put the big black truck into gear. 
The faster I could get back to the office, the better. Something told me that Father O'Malley didn't die of a heart attack. St. Giles killed him. I didn't know how, but I was going to prove it and put that bastard behind bars. Mary Margaret was pissed as hell when I rolled into the office. Mr. Fitzhugh, it's nearly 11. I looked at the wall clock. By God, you're right, I said mockingly. You can tell time. I've had people calling and stopping by all morning long. We're supposed to go see Grammy first thing today, too. You told me we'd get her out of this place as fast as we could. I shrugged on my way into my office, my jacket over my shoulder. I didn't promise you when we'd see her, and I sure as hell didn't promise you we'd get her out immediately. These things take time. As for the phone calls and the others, I'll call them back, or they'll come back. Not showing up keeps St. Giles on his toes and gives us a little more time to look into this bastard. We can do it tomorrow. I turned to shuffle through the pile of crap on my desk. Everything that would keep me away from nailing St. Giles. Mr. Fitzhugh? That wasn't Mary Margaret's voice. I pivoted around and surveyed the woman who had called my name. Starting from the black stilettos, up the short but shapely legs, I took in the tight black skirt and the Glock 40 caliber that rested on her hip, holstered by a black leather belt around a still tiny waist. Her arms were crossed across what would be the best pair of breasts I'd seen on a cop in years, barely contained inside a crisp white blouse and peeking from behind the badge that hung around her neck. Her hair was still blonde, but the ponytail I remembered from the past was gone. Today it was pinned into a classy French twist. Hi, Fitz. Remember me? This episode is narrated by Casey Martin. Fracktown Gumshoe is based on the novels by Deborah Gaskill.